Hello everybody, this is Justin. Uh, I realized that I'm a dummy and didn't record an intro to uh, what's about to happen, so I just wanted to say up front here real quick that I had the pleasure to recently interview Max Mraz, who is the developer of a newly released Steam game called Ocean's Heart. We talk about game development in general, uh, as well as the joys of podcasting, dinosaurs, all kinds of weird stuff. So <laughs> I hope you enjoy this interview and uh, take it away, me. So yeah, for, for anyone who isn't me or people that obviously already know you, uh, who are you? And kind of what what do you what would you like people to know about you up front? <laughs> yeah, no, that I mean that's the classic podcast question. So tell me who you are and what you do. Uh, I've heard that so many times because I'm a podcast nerd. But um, yeah, so I'm Max Mraz. I am an indie game developer. I've been doing this for about uh, four years now, and I just put out Ocean's Heart, which is uh, my first uh, my first release. Well, uh, first release. So I it was my the first game I started on, and uh, the f- third game I've released because during the process of making Ocean's Heart I made two little like month-long projects as breaks Uh, I got tired of making a video game so I took a quick break to make a video game (laughs) Um, makes sense yeah so uh game development is sort of my uh what I do in this capacity but uh I'm a project guy I do a lot of other things on the side um making music Uh, I've done a podcast in the past Uh, I'm active in my church doing sound stuff there audio engineering and you know uh, have friends and stuff too so i guess i guess social life that's how they would know me <laughs> you know when, yeah. when one could have a social life in the before times yeah yeah but <laughs> game game development is why you called me so i made uh so ocean's heart is a game that is put out and i've uh, made two other games uh yarn town and hollow's eve and what are what are those um i know but just you know humor me <laughs> yeah 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 so um so I've been working on Ocean's Heart for about four years, and it's a uh, much bigger than I meant it to be Zelda-like. <laughs> I started out just, I was like, oh, it'd be cool if I could play like my own game on my own TV. That'd be cool. <laughs> uh, so I started teaching myself how to code to do that, and then it just spiraled out of control. And now it's like a full video game that has been just released on Steam and GOG. Um, and then Yarntown is a... Um, sort of like a 2d zelda like demake of bloodborne um of the first area of central yarn uh central yarnum and then hollow's eve is a uh halloween project game that i put together where you play a uh it's set in the 90s you play a pumpkin man and he's come from the spirit world to the human world to rent jurassic park because dracula rented jurassic park 2 and he wants to watch the first one before he does that uh, but you arrive on the night of a curse, and you need to kick a bunch of ghosts and uh, help a teen save his pet lizard. And and then rent Jurassic Park. I assume that. Oh happens. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay. Yes. Just yes. No spoilers. That, you know, yeah. <laughs> I figure that's how it ends. Right. Just ruin the. That's the whole suspense of it, Justin. I'm sorry. <laughs> does he get it? No. Yeah. You call you call me dead to rights. He does okay. get Jurassic Park at the end. <laughs> so then, obviously, next Halloween you're going to put out a sequel where he has to. Uh, he gets Jurassic Park three and then finds out that it really wasn't worth all the trouble, right? Oh, that's a great, great idea. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he's got two. Three's bad, but you know he doesn't know that. Yeah, I honestly. Honestly, what I remember the most about three is the Lego sets of it whenever those came out because <laughs> it came out with a Spinosaurus and I was really into Spinosaurus uh, at that age. 
It's a very specific thing to be into. Well, I mean, am I gonna? I, everybody's into T Rexes, uh, so I mean, Stegosauruses are like kind of cool, but kind of like they're sort of like you know the Bulbasaur or the tank of of dinosaurs, uh, and then like T Rex, that's like your your basic dinosaur. And I wanted to be weird. And what was my other pick? Like Archaeopteryx. I don't even know what that that's is. That's a lame. That's a lame dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's favorite dinosaur is a Stegosaurus, so you know it's still different. Yeah, it's. I feel like Stegosaurus is. That's like your uh, a Stegosaurus is like your tank. Like you've got. I feel uh, like a Brontosaurus is maybe like the mage. T Rex is obviously like. I feel like that's like a knight kind of class. Spinosaurus is like. Uh, it's a little bit of like a cross between a T-Rex and a Velociraptor, but it's got this big old, it's like a dorsal fin sort of situation, but like spiny, I don't know. It's, 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 it was right where I was at in terms of uh, what I wanted in a dinosaur at the age of nine or whatever. So it's like a spiky bird dino. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot like a, yeah, like similar size, like halfway between a raptor and a T-Rex, but with like, you know, a badass shark back. Okay, that that sounds pretty cool. I'll I'll give you I'll give your nine year old <laughs> self some credit. Thanks, thanks, I thanks. Yeah, I'll 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 send you Spinosaurus <laughs> pics on Discord for a while. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, game development. Um, so what I'm hearing is your next game is going to be about dinosaurs. Not ruled out. I don't have any solid plans yet. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Uh, so speaking of your uh your games, um. Obviously, Ocean's Heart is a, a Zelda-like game, uh, but mm-hmm. like, what are your inspirations? Like, what made you want to make this? Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, obviously Zelda. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's definitely a game for people who loved Zelda and like that sort of game. So, it, uh, I was, as far as like other games that have inspired me, um, I was outside of like the Zelda franchise, which was sort of like those were growing up like my absolute favorite games of like you know every single yeah you know, I tried I played as many as I could get my hands on and they were sort of like the gold standard. But outside of, games games inspiration is as uh, outside of that, um, I loved The Witcher and played that a little while before I started development. And I loved just the way its side quests always like had a story with a you know a little bit of a surprise or a little bit of a twist. Uh, the side quests always were were always worth doing because they had some amount of story rather than just being straightforward and loved sort of the world there the the way that Geralt is just sort of is in no way a chosen one or <laughs> cares to be a major part of things but is just sort of like a guy who gets you know wrapped up in things and i thought that was fun um partway through development of Ocean's Heart uh my little sister got me to play Bloodborne um and then use that as a gate and then she bought me dark souls and i was like well i gotta play this because you got it for me and um those were those i really got into those i love them and um especially the way that they like delivered their lore in terms of like just dropping you little like lemony snicket sized bits and pieces of mysteries Mm -hmm. and uh making you figure out the rest and i thought that was a fun way to do it i was just like you still you still do all that like world building and like figuring out like Oh, who used to live here? But before that, how do they feel about each other? And what in what ways did this culture like appropriate the legends of the other culture and twist them to suit their own, you know, sort of propaganda and morals? And uh, what are like stories that happened long ago that were just like affected by the legacies of um, 
you still get to make all of that, but you should never force that stuff down players' throats. A lot of us don't care. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought they did a great balance of like putting in so many of those questions and not giving enough room for them to breathe, like not answering a lot, but just giving you little clues. And it keeps you engaged because um, as soon as you answer every question you have about a mystery, well, you just don't have a mystery anymore. It's It's just gone. Um, so like I, the amount of restraint that was in those, I really appreciated it. And that was a big inspiration too. Um, I played hollow Knight during development and just like the amount of sheer optional areas, what I thought was dope. And, uh, judging by the wildly varying play times of people who reviewed ocean's heart, I'm coming to the conclusion that the majority of the game is optional, which is fun. <laughs> but then, um, I mean, yeah, it definitely seems like there's a lot of side content. There is, it certainly is. Um, I think there's uh, like 11 or 12 main quests and 33 side quests as far as like what is logged. (laughs) So yeah, I think more than half the game is just optional content. There's a great majority of areas that you don't have to go to. Uh, I'm really curious to see if anybody ever like speed runs it and figures out like, okay, what do you have to do? What is, what can you actually skip? Uh, Because sometimes I don't remember. (laughs) You think you're um, gonna that this is gonna end up with all the you know the randomizers and stuff out there? Like it's gonna get its own crazy speedrunning oh, randomizer community. I do. I don't. I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, that's the dream. I mean, I hope you. I if it resonates with people on that level, I would be. I would love that. But um, I don't. I hope I don't have the hubris to be like, oh yeah, they're gonna love this one. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully the potential is there. Well, I think if like, um, you know, Axiom Verge, like that, that was another mm-hmm. basically one man developed game. And yeah. like what, eight years later or something, he just released an official update for it that brought in a, like an actual randomizer mode in the game. And so it's like, oh, that's he cool. didn't know that was going to happen, but you know, the community ran away with it. So he's like, sure, have it here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you can, after the fact, you can still see that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, I'm very much. Uh, the plan is just to roll with the punches and see how it goes. You know, if it's a, uh, if people like it and aren't, you know, just clambering for more, then like I'm more than happy to move on to the next thing. But if it, uh, if it really resonates with people, then who knows? Okay. Well, um, actually, this is actually something I had for later. But while we're on topic, um, do you see this game, or do you want this game to come to other platforms like Switch? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I I think um just I think Switch is probably the optimal platform to play this game on. Um mm-hmm. just in terms of like, you know, there's a lot of you like, oh, you can go explore an area or there's a lot of mini dungeons um or just, you know, those the the pixel art Zelda, pixel art exploration games feel like they fit well on Switch. Oh yeah. Sort of and it's sort of like how um like when Hollow Knight came out on PC it was still an amazing game, but when it came to switch is when it was like, that was sort of like, Oh, this is the way to play it to be, mm-hmm. you know, on a console or bring it with me. Um, and I would absolutely love ocean's heart to get to switch. Um, it definitely is from what I understand. It's, it's like a, a, a quite a process as far as like, you know, working with Nintendo and getting mm-hmm. access to everything. Um, but it's, uh, it's not, yeah, I don't know how that worked. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, it's not super open to just like, Oh, anybody can develop on switch, but, um, it's, it's not off the table. It's a possibility, but, um, not one that I, uh, can currently say like, Oh, for sure we're doing it or for sure it's not happening. So I just like, I think of, you know, past examples 
especially with the with Zelda type games that always do well, like uh, Blossom mm-hmm. Tales. Blossom Tales, that, absolutely. Like, did okay on on PC, but I think they put out a number that said they got like thirty times the sales, like the lifetime yeah. sales of PC um, on Switch within the first like six months. It was insane. Yeah, Blo- <laughs> yeah. Blossom Tales is yeah. It's definitely sort of. It definitely has a lot in common with Ocean's Heart in terms of you know being a lot of you know we we you know both Castle Pixel and I clearly absolutely love Zelda games. Mm-hmm. You know, especially the Game Boy the Game Boy ones. And um, for it was what I got from playing their game. And um, yeah, I I what I I think I read that they were sort of like in bad shape as a company with the PC release and that the mm-hmm. Switch release really brought them back around. So I was yeah, super happy for them because that game is delightful and charming. Yeah. The yeah, the the framing device is so cute. Similar sense of humor too. So I think I think it would be exactly. kind of Yeah. I think you'd find the same market, which you know I'm hoping mm-hmm. for. But hey, me too. <laughs> okay. I was just, just kind of curious. <laughs> oh yeah. Um yeah, so it sounds like obviously you know you have the the Zelda inspirations and then some of the um, the Souls like stuff, which I definitely noticed with the difficulty level. Um, I won't <laughs> uh, I won't tell you how many times I died in an hour, but uh, I, I will admit a good portion of it was because I kept accidentally rolling into enemies instead of slashing at them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll eventually learn the controls. That's a hurdle everywhere. Yeah, exactly. If you if you want to know a secret, there actually is. This isn't displayed anywhere in the game, but uh, when I was coding, I just sort of like every time you die, I increment a counter. There's an exact number of the times you died in your save file. Oh, I'm not doing anything with that information, <laughs> but I am holding it over you. So Justin, just know huh. I know how many times you just kidding, just kidding. I don't actually have your save file, but you you can find out how many times you died. <laughs> okay, as long as you don't know, I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> I know how bad I am at video games. That's where the zero score name came from. um so uh i have kind of a um a a funny question that you don't necessarily have to answer um were you worried about comparisons to oceanhorn oh my gosh (laughs) so uh so at this point yeah so this was very late in development when i was like ah um so oceans horn when i i started developing this game in late 2016 early 2017 Mm -hmm. um and at that point in history i would i play i so i played oceans horn in i think in college it was just like uh you know a fairly small ios only game Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly uh like not it didn't really make a big impact it was like I played it and I, I really enjoyed it. I was like, this is, you know, a solid little homage to Wind Waker, you know, like uh, sort of the top down Zelda style, but in sort of in 3D. It had some fun ideas with like mm-hmm. their robots and their Sky Island and stuff. Um, and then it was, you know, they put that out in what, 2013, 2014 or something. Um, and then re- there really there was nothing else as far as I know from the team for many, many years. Um, well, many, many years, I guess. So, you know three or four years you know it wasn't it wasn't like they had immediately started working on a sequel and then so i started working on ocean's heart which i I wasn't really even thinking of ocean horn at the time like i had played it in college but sort of you know like enjoyed it it wasn't but it wasn't really like something i was keeping in my mind Mm -hmm. and then um after i'd been working on ocean's heart for years they go (laughs) corn fox and bros announces like ocean's horn 2 it's coming out apple arcade it's a big deal 
And like when with Apple Arcade's launch, it like got a lot of press. And then they brought it to Switch. Um, it is in my wish list, but I haven't played it yet. But it looks amazing. <laughs> oh, and now they're releasing Chronos, Chronos Dungeon, which is another pixel version of it. And I'm just sort of like, oh, no, this is some sort of convergent evolution happening right at the same time. <laughs> a sort of Armageddon Deep Impact situation. And I was just like, oh, this yeah. is... <laughs> That's actually pretty original. That I I think a lot about those, like, you know, movies that came out around the same time that were, like, clearly aping each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've... So I've read a little bit about it, and I think Armageddon and Deep Impact, they weren't even aware of each other. It just, like happened that it was just like ripe for asteroid disaster movie time you know like disaster movies had been a hit for a long time uh mm-hmm. you know with a lot of other ones even even jurassic park is sort of a disaster movie and that was the same era um so i think that like just the circumstances were right and i i think in this situation too um i was watching someone uh someone mentioned in a review or was talking online and it pointed out that like the so wind waker dropped in like 2006 or something um 2003 maybe um and wind waker zelda wind waker was obviously a great game and really formative for a lot of people and this person pointed out that like you know the people that played wind waker when they were like at one of you know some of ideal zelda's like ideal target range when you're like you know 12 or you know 11 or 12 where it makes Mm -hmm. a huge impact on you those people are at, you know, like game developer age now. Yeah. And so they pointed out that like, it kind of makes sense that like we, I'm sure Corn Fox and bros and I have probably, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we had pretty similar, pretty similar uh, media consumptions when we were 11 or 12 or that age. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, I just, I thought that was funny. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. not so much just the names, but like, you know, the Which same are- kind of like seafaring adventure. Yeah, which I mean, obviously, the you know, obviously, that's where the names come from. So it's like, you know, part and parcel. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I totally get it. I'm just like, you know, we have probably similar influences that led us to similar ideas. And uh, to, to be fair to them, they got theirs out uh, 10 years, you know, almost 10 years before I did. So, but I mean, there's so many games out there that have very similar titles and, you know, some, sometimes mm-hmm. the same uh same type of gameplay and it's just there's only so many words out there like yep what are you gonna yeah do? yeah i think this one is just a, a very much a case of our you know if if you're gonna make a zelda like focused on uh you know traveling through islands i can see the ocean being in the name uh not super surprising that both your protagonists are wearing blue because you know ocean colors yeah. <laughs> but yeah i feel like uh, uh quite the coincidence all right um let's see yeah let's talk about something besides how my bad marketing decisions in naming (laughs) (laughs) hey it's not bad well uh like you said you know people do that on purpose sometimes to have you uh, maybe (laughs) this is this isn't a very flattering example but have you seen like the um like all the direct-to-DVD movies that are clearly trying to like get people to to buy their movie instead of the one that's in theaters, like Transmorphers. <laughs> all right, I resent the comparison, Justin. <laughs> oh, I said it was a bad example, which is probably what I should stop talking. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I know, I know that we have similar senses of humor, so I figured I could get away with that. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I am very hard to offend. I uh, don't worry about it. Cool um so yeah anyway let's get back to the game development side of things um how 
you say like you're basically a one man team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How how do you manage that? Like, there that's a lot of things to do. I mean, like you know, you I I heard you did like all of the sprite work and the music mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. the you know obviously you said you learned how to code. Like, that's mm-hmm. a lot to manage. Um, is it kind of nice because you don't have to like you know have conflict of interest or whatever with other people? You can just have your vision. Or is it kind of challenging and are there, you know, some areas you like more than others? Oh, I mean, it is absolutely both. Um, you know, like um, the the, fa- the fact that like I can, I do really appreciate the fact that like things that are important, things that are important to me and things that I really want to communicate there's are just going to be in the game. Like, you know, it's, I don't have to make a case for that or anything on um, I don't, and I think whenever you're doing a creative project with another person, like it's just pretty unlikely that you're both going to have the exact same vision, um, for better or for worse. Um, because I think a lot of you know great art is created by people who are you know ping ponging off each other and bringing each other to greatness. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, it's you know uh, you know uh, it's oh my god, two sides of the same coin, which I hate when people say, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, you know, it's an egg cracked, but you're cracking the egg at both ends. Like you're getting uh, the advantages of like making like the exact game you want, but you're definitely also missing out on what another person can bring that you wouldn't have expected. Um, so it and with the same with like be uh, you know doing everything like. If I were to, I just know, like, so if I were working with another composer for the music, for example, um, like my, when I was going to write the, the background music for, uh, Fikonos Island, which is, um, if I had gone to someone and was like, Hey, I want sort of like a Andalusian cadence, but I want sort of a trap beat underneath, but only played on like traditional sounding instruments. And I need it to also match instrumentation with the entire rest of the game, <laughs> preferably with some of the same light motifs and cues. Like I'm asking a lot where, mm-hmm. and if I don't you know, I can just go into, uh, you know, I can just open up Ableton or whatever I'm working in and just do that to myself. Like I know exactly what I want. And like, that would be a big challenge for me to um, because I have such a specific vision in my head for the music or for how I want the pixel art to look like somewhat. There's a little bit of that. Like whenever you have someone do do some work for you, if you have the stronger the picture in your head going in, like the more inevitably disappointed with something amazing you'll be like, you know, someone can do really amazing work and come up with a great take. And there's, you know, unless you're more mature than I am occasionally, like there's still that little bit of like, if you had a specific picture in your head and it's not that, it's sort of like, ooh, well, you know. Yeah. Um, like, I like what you did with it, but I asked for this. Yeah. Or, I mean, more than likely, I didn't ask for it. I was just thinking it in my head. And I was like, obviously, oh, it'll okay. come out like this because what I described. Um, so I guess my point is communication is hard, Justin, and I'm bad at it, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, at the other end, I mean, for sure, it's just, there are things that I don't enjoy doing that, you know, I've had to do. Um, one thing that I hate so much is making menus. Oh my gosh. Making menus is to me personally, like so boring and tedious, but they're so important. And like the UX experience is like critical, um, and I got really lucky that I, I, I that is one of um, so in the credits of the game, you'll see there are a couple other people listed um, 
and a person who goes by Lamazing, like uh, Llama and Amazing. Um, nice. <laughs> it, this is another developer who works in the same engine and uh, as me. And uh, Solaris is the engine. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> sorry, that was a very scattered sentence. Let me say that like a normal <laughs> human might if they knew how to talk. Uh, so there's another developer called Lamazing, and they also work in the Solaris engine, which is what I use to make this game. And um, they, <laughs> Lamazing loves making menus, which I'm just like, why? But God bless you. Um, hmm. And so Lamazing was instrumental. They're a genius and helped me with a lot of the menus. Um, like the uh, quest log system was all them. Um, Lamazing was making a quest log system was like, oh, Ocean's Heart um, was sort of like, I want to make a quest log system for Ocean's Heart. Um, and that'll sort of be my proof of concept. So now that Ocean's Heart is out, he uh, Lamazing just released this quest log system, all the scripts and how to make it work onto the Solaris Discord and forums, and everyone else can use it too. That's awesome. Yeah. So, oh, so happy that uh, you know they're such a kind-hearted person, <laughs> which was because I hate menus so much, Justin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there are definitely are things like that. Yeah. I want to get back to Solaris because I think that's a really interesting thing. Um. But real quick on the on the menu topic, uh, yeah, did were they responsible for the inventory menu too? Uh, no, the inventory menu was actually so <laughs> was actually I was I was talking to them at the time. I was just like asking, um, just on the Discord, like asking general questions because all the all the developers with of Solaris we have a Discord. Um, I mean, it's just a public Discord, and we're all on there, and we're always all always asking each other questions and helping each other figure things out. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was messaging them and just like talking about like, hey, I was I ran into this bug. Do you you know? Thank you. Like, do you know why this is behaving this way? I don't really want to make an inventory menu. I think at the time I had some like cop out uh, during like the first year or so of development. The only items were sword, bombs, and bow because those are the three buttons, and I didn't want to make an inventory. Mm. So I was just like, <laughs> well, you get three items, then each one goes to a button. <laughs> and Lamazing was like you can make an inventory menu and like really encouraged me and was like, just like do the work and figure it out. Uh, and it came together with the, uh, that inventory. And I, I, I think that one was all me if okay. I remember correctly, which I mean, I'm also kind of dumb and forgetful. So I might have be misremembering. <laughs> well, amazing did fantastic work, but I absolutely did want to shout that out specifically because I really like that. It's like, you know, the, the player's pouch, even down to the point where, like, when you heal... Oh, yeah. Like, Well, the graphics were me. Yeah. The the hearts, like, are, are like, cross-stitches on the pouch. Like, I think that's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I shouted that Thank out in the, in the gameplay that, like, I love that little feature. Because uh, <laughs> it really... It's just... It's kind of an immersive thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was fun to do. It is actually modeled yeah. exactly off of uh, my bag that I bring to my laptop to work in. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah solaris so this is i don't I th- probably a lot of people aren't familiar with it um this mm-hmm. is basically like a it started as a like a zelda game maker right but it's kind of expanded past that well, to an extent yeah it uh well it actually started so if my if my understanding of the history is correct um it actually started as a zelda game so um yes. you want the full my full history and you can i'll let you edit out what you want <laughs> So, um, well, I'm not like, I've known about it since the because my brother was, you know, mm-hmm. like he's been working yeah, with Boca this Solaris engine probably longer than you have. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, longer than I have. Yeah. No, these, 
pretty OG. Like back when it was like when the when the Solaris game was like a proof of concept. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was because I've been helping him make his uh, fan game for like seven years or something like that. It started on like RPG oh, nice. Maker, and we were just kind of you know playing around with it. And yeah. Stuff. Um. So like I know oh, my gosh, about the RPG it. Maker. So you went through that phase too? Oh yeah. Yeah, we both did. The the RP, let's make a Zelda game an RPG Maker phase. Oh, right there with you. <laughs> well, he he did that. I didn't do the Zelda game thing. I I'm more of an RPG guy. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> so I wanted to make an actual RPG in RPG Maker, but he had to break the system and try. Oh to make yeah, Zelda well, game. I mean, RPG Maker does make RPGs. It does not right. make Zelda games, and we have all it, tried to no. make a Zelda game in there, and it doesn't go well. Correct. Then he moved to uh, Game Maker, and it was just okay, and that's hilarious. But anyway, mm-hmm. side tangent. Um, so, like, I know about the history of it, but I was kind of curious about, like, you know, I'm sure you have more insight into, like, the actual program and how it works and stuff as far yeah. as making a game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it, it it honestly all, in a way, it did start in RPG Maker because uh, Christopher, the guy who originally is sort of like, uh, you know, the father of the engine, he was making a Zelda fan game in RPG Maker and was like, this is a garbage tool for making this kind of game. Because it makes RPGs, and Zelda is, in a lot of ways, not. You know, it's not Final Fantasy. It's not turn-based. It's yeah. not grid-based. Um, so Christopher sort of made an engine to power his own fan game, The Mystery of Solaris. Um, and my impression of it is just that he is, uh, you know, so attentive to detail and so thoughtful that the engine that he created for this fan game was just so good that it just it just makes sort of... It's very great for making any sort of Zelda-like or action RPG. Um, and since then, he it's been expanding and generalizing into just more of a general purpose game engine with a focus on uh, with a focus on action RPGs. So what you know what it is at its core is it's it's a game engine, um, and it de- it has a lot of great tools that allow you to make like a Zelda like um, you know a top down action game in two D or uh, in some cases side view. But it's it's uh, even more generally generally applicable. Um, Lamazing, in fact, made a uh, a like word game. Have you ever played that game where someone's like, they think of a word and you guess other words and they tell you how many letters it has in common? No. Oh, it's like a. <laughs> in high school, <laughs> I was I was dating this girl who went to a Montessori school, and she had a bunch of these like really like clever thinky games, and we would like play them when we were like at waiting in the waiting rooms at the DMV or whatever. But um. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a very clever game and Lamazing put together one of those. So it's just like a word game. You know, you're just like typing in words and like guessing. Uh, it's sort of, I think it might be called Mastermind. But yeah, I think that was called Mastermind mm-hmm. or something. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 uh, really just a game engine and it is specifically great at making action RPGs like Zelda. Um, so like Uh-oh. when you go to, but it's, it's status as like a Zelda game, fame make, uh, like a Zelda fan game maker is historically what a lot of people have used it for so yeah your brother made book of madura um right and um which is a zelda fan game one that i've played and i thought it was great <laughs> and um there's been a number of other zelda fan games and in more recent years it's been branching out into a lot more people taking it and running it into mm-hmm. their uh going to, with their with their own ideas and their own ip is this the first like retail available game that was developed with it uh yes yeah so ocean's heart is the so. first commercial game um well actually you know what? Technically, I take that back. <laughs> uh, I released Hollow's Eve. I'm the well. I mean, I made the first commercially available games, but Hollow's Eve, my uh, like Halloween side project, uh, released in October and is also four dollars on itch.io. So technically, 
that is the okay. first commercially available game. But Ocean's Heart yeah. is the first like big release. Yeah. Uh, Hollow's Eve was just like a little side project that I threw up on itch, and I think maybe you know twenty to forty people have downloaded it. But yeah, Ocean's Heart's the first big Solaris project. That's really cool. I bet. I, I imagine you've been in contact with Christopher a little bit. I I bet he's really like. Oh yeah. Excited to have his engine, you know, validated like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be using it. But yeah, I mean, the community is uh, pretty small. It's not like a giant community with a ton of developers using it. So mm-hmm. uh, I feel like, you know, we're all pretty tight talking on the Discord and asking each other questions and chatting. Yeah, I, I always, I love stuff like that. Like, you know, everyone knows like the open source, like Unity and Unreal and things like that. But there's so many mm-hmm. other, you know, small game develop or game engines out there that don't get as much love. And mm-hmm. I hope, you know, with with retail releases coming out that aren't just Zelda fan games, yeah, um, maybe Solaris will get some more play now too because I think it could be a really big deal. I think and so I would too. love more Zelda like games, so you know, win yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what really what drove me to you know make this game is like I like playing Zelda like games. Like when I heard about Blossom Tales, boom, I bought that. You know, uh, whenever there's like someone's like, oh, this is a Zelda clone, then like my ears perk up and I'm like, oh, tell me more. Sounds like something I would like because I love Zelda. Yeah, <laughs> like clone that, please it was good give me more so i mean i think it's a great game formula that i appreciate and want more of so i'll, I'll make more of it and i hope i can bring you sort of, you know sort of my own twist and my own emphases to it and that's what's cool is like anytime you kind of create a new genre you know it, it allows people to uh to put their own spin on it and mm-hmm. eventually that becomes its own genre in a way and so yeah. like that's how you know innovation is bred um, is oh, by sure. kind of mimicking something else in a loving way. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, you just like it. They gradually innovate and split apart. Like, oh, for sure. Um, what was I gonna say? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got your back, Justin. <laughs> yeah, oh, I totally forgot. Oh yeah. Um, well, let, let me know if you hear about any others. Cause I'm like this whole year, I'm trying to kind of, you know, focus on Zelda stuff. So I want to like, you know, highlight more, um, Zelda like games like yours. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. You probably have the inside scoop more than I do. So, you know, take uh, things my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I hear of any, I can, I can send you a list of some of the ones that I've played or, or are on my wish list. Um, like off the top of my head, have you, some of them that you may not have heard of, have you heard of Lina's Inception? Mm, no, I don't think so. So that one, I haven't played it so uh, yet, but I do have it uh, down. It was in that uh, that big uh, itch.io bundle for racial justice over the summer. Um, yeah, I got that. Oh well, then you have it. Um, <laughs> so give this a try. It's a it's like a it's a Zelda, it's very much a Zelda like it looks. Um, and it's built. It's it is sort of the the hook of it is that it's a sort of meta adventure where the hero dies and then you step in to take the place, but it's sort of uh, I know it's very meta like you use like the game will like faux glitch and you'll use that to your advantage uh it's also a procedurally generated world so every run is different um mm. yeah it, se- it seemed really, that really might fascinating be why I skipped over it I don't I don't usually do roguelikes but that sounds interesting yeah I'm, I'm very interested in it too I haven't given it a spin yet I just haven't had time because I've been making making a game <laughs> right because there were a few like I kind of did um, like some just some gameplay videos during that week that that was available just to kind of get it some promotion oh, nice, um, yeah. and there was a few zelda like games in there that i'll probably you know check back in with mm-hmm. um but i don't i don't remember that one 
but that sounds cool yeah yeah that one's a little bit of a that one's a little bit of a sleeper obviously we played blossom tales um that one was great yeah. adorable uh what else have i been playing uh well i mean obviously my game uh my other games yarn town <laughs> and hollow's eve are also sort of zelda likes that's true i sort of um it's something that i feel that i'm not like it's something i think about it's sort of so i've made at this point three sort of zelda like games you know like ocean's heart is very much you know a mm-hmm. lot of in its tone and its progressions a very zelda like game um yarn town is also you know definitely a zelda like but it's a sort of a bloodborne remake so it leans sort of that way too um hollow's eve actually is uh in its like sorry i had a hiccup and its <laughs> combat system is a lot like hyperlight drifter um and mm-hmm. i'm sort of like at this point i'm sort of like I kind of want to just want to just keep focusing on these kind of Zelda like games for a few years and be like, go deep on them. But I do feel sort of conflicted of like, I'm just staying in this one genre. Like, you know, what do what do side scrollers have to offer that I don't even know about? Or like, you know, puzzle games or detective games. Yeah, but like we said, you know, you can you can branch out in that genre and still try new things without. You know, straying too mm-hmm. far from what you really like. I mean, you could even introduce side-scrolling elements like yeah. Zelda games have before, and so like oh, you yeah, can kind totally of true. you know mix up that a little bit, <laughs> yeah, and try things, but still stick to the Zelda formula that you're good at. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> speaking of side-scrolling, there's a fan game in the works called A Link to the Dream, which is a remake of uh, Link's Awakening with Link to the Past graphics that is in the Solaris engine. Anyway, they're obviously they're working on a side-scrolling system because Link's Awakening had that, and I'm just sort of waiting for mm-hmm. them to like work out all the bugs and be like, "Can I use it now?" <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, which I love so- those sections. Like, I think they're really oh unique. yeah, they're great. And that's I mean that's one of the great things about open source engines and like communities that are founded upon that is sort of like mm-hmm. we all know that like all of the work each of us are doing is going to be available to help the others. Um, you know, there's no like rule about that necessarily, like with the Solaris engine. Like, if you want to make something that's all, you know, you're not going to share it with anyone, like, you know, you can license it that way. But the majority of us, that's like a strong value that we share. Um, we share the sharing value and um, we're really into being like, oh, I made this really cool system. Here it is. So you guys can use it. Because, like, at the end of the day, I want to play more games with it. Right. It's benefiting everyone. Mm hmm. Like, what do you gain from hoarding the good stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's just that, like, you know, that view where people see other success, other people's successes as competition that is not, yeah. like, that's not good for anybody, man. You're not getting much out of that. All you're doing is withholding cool games from people. <laughs> right. Tax the rich. No, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, do Anyway, uh, well, yeah, true. But, you know, <laughs> this is this is about game development. So sometimes I wonder if I should say things out loud, um, and I do anyway. But <laughs> I, I still, I still question it. Um, yeah, let's see, where are we? <laughs> what, where is what? What tone am I going to strike with this podcast? Oh, yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> um, so on kind of the note of of the you know community aspect of the Solaris engine, um, as a you know fairly new like one man developer yourself, what mm-hmm. advice do you have? for other new and first time game developers. I know this is another one of those like, you know, obvious questions, but I like yeah. to ask it. Yeah, I mean, I will give the exact same device that any new developer is already hearing of make a really really small game first. Mm-hmm. I did not do that to my detriment. <laughs> um 
Uh, so like my history with development is so I just started like I, I do consider this my first real game. I did like play around with RPG Maker when I was a kid. I you know like I tried to put together some games in middle school. Um, you know did like a little bit of a Majora's Mask fan game for a year or so in high school until it you know fizzled out. Um, but respect Ocean's Heart. What I set out to do was maybe like a three to four hour game you know three to four small dungeons a little overworld like a couple items and it ballooned out into you know an eight to 16 hour game and got way out of hand (laughs) um and i'm as surprised as anyone that i've finished it you know it's been a it's been a in a lot of ways very you know like a grueling four-year process like as a one-man person like uh there's been there was a time between jobs when i was you know like daily putting in 16 hours like i don't want people to see like because there's that temptation, right? Of like, you see Toby Fox or you see Concerned Ape um, and you're like, oh, wow, well, like one person can put together like a really big, really successful game. Um, and I feel pretty confident speaking for them that they would probably not recommend that, you know, like um, <laughs> especially as like an early game. I know I think Toby Fox had more experience going in. I'm not sure about Concerned Ape with Stardew Valley, but um, like going in, especially like it is hard it's really hard and you have to put in a lot of time and um you're gonna be you're gonna have to make sacrifices in what you're doing with the other free time uh and i definitely wouldn't recommend like quitting your day job i i work as a throughout this job i've worked at or throughout the development of ocean's heart i've worked at denny's i've done construction installed flooring done some landscaping uh went back to school at a coding boot camp and got a job as like an it like a software developer um, and those are all like the main thing that I need to do to like live a healthy life. And this has been right. a nice hobby to do on the side. Um, so I think like, if you want to get into games, like keep doing what you're doing first and just like, see if you can, you know, throw, you know, 16 hours a week that way and make like, like in terms of Zelda likes make one dungeon, you know, make a section of an overworld that you get two items and don't say like oh i'll do this to start like make that the end so that when you're done with that you can throw it all out because it's there's going to be bad stuff in there you're learning which is Mm -hmm. normal and just like the i think iterating and small projects um because i've sort of done both i both did ocean's heart which is a pretty big game as my first project and then through the course of that also put out two like month-long small projects um with the knowledge that I gained from Ocean's Art to back me up, um, I think those two small projects, in some ways, I was able to learn a lot more because I wasn't tied to the decisions that I made earlier. Um, and I wouldn't, if I wanted to change something, I don't have to go back and change a lot because I've only been working for a month. And I think like those projects, like give yourself a month, you know, be like, oh, maybe I'm not going to watch TV this month or see movies or hang out with friends and just see what I can do in one month. Give, give yourself a hard end point both in terms of this is what the game is and this is my time limit. And I think like those sort of things are going to set, give you a way bigger leg up when, you know, uh, after making maybe, you know, two, four five little games, you're like, okay, now I can make a medium game that will balloon into a big game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, like I said, my, you know, my brother's fan game, mm-hmm. I say it took seven years, but it restarted development like three or four times in there with yeah. different engines and like mm-hmm. changing scope and, you know, I rewrote most of the story like probably <laughs> two times as he like changed ideas and wanted new input. And so like, yeah, definitely, if it, especially if you're not, you know, quote unquote, a professional, 
Like if yeah. you're not in that field getting paid to do it every day, um, it's definitely best to uh, rein it in a little bit. <laughs> yes. And like the thing is like as much as you think you're reining it in, you aren't reining it in that much. Like <laughs> feature creep is such a big thing, right? Like I'm sure you mm-hmm. saw that happen with your, with uh, with Matt's game, Book of Madura, that like you can start something small and you'll have cool ideas and you will implement them. It's not going to be as small as you start ever. Right. I, I mean, I even noticed that, like, you know, with with my stuff, like, I I also have a day job and, you mm-hmm. know, have been doing YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff for, like, five years now. Oh, nice. Um, and, like, would never advise anyone to, like, you know, quit your day job or whatever to do it full time because it's just not feasible anymore. Yeah. Um, but as a hobby, like, it's great if you can make money doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just bonus. Um, and for me, like I work in communications, so it's still kind of, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's job experience in a way, even though I'm not getting paid to do it. Like it's giving, it's, it's boosting my resume for work. Yeah. Um, so like, you have to think of what you can gain from it outside of just money. Like from a, you know, again, from a game development side, but that's, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I definitely like all these video games are definitely going on my resume if I switch jobs. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's fair. I mean, even if you don't, like, you're still, you know, you're in IT. Like, that still looks yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, my boss is like, hey, so when are you, uh, are you going to be, like, uh, quitting and becoming a big-time game developer? Because it seems like you're doing really, really well out there. And I'm like, Kevin, no, you guys give me health care. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> game development, from everything I hear, does not sound like the job I want. No. It sounds like the hobby I enjoy, but, like you know, the hours and, and it's not like crazy good pay. And it's just, it's, I don't know. It seems too stressful for me, but, uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, messing around on my own. That's, that's chill. Yeah. I have a friend in QA and like, he's taken, he's got, you know, he's Less doing tough. pretty well because like he's, he's with a company that mm-hmm. actually takes care of their employees, but the average game development company is not like that. So yeah, you might be better as a, as a one man team for now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had a friend who um, worked for a game development studio in Columbus. I hesitate to call it a game development studio because it seemed like uh, more like a f- scam because like, it was one of those like, oh, well, yeah, you'll be paid in rev share at the end when it goes out. And it was just like terribly managed. And like, you know, the, the core concept of the game they were making changed like three times over the year I was hearing about it. Uh, and they eventually released like, here's a playable demo. And it was after like two years and it was just like nothing. You could walk around a room and interact with stuff barely. Mm. And I was just like, Ooh, this is what a, this is a real ass game development studio with like <laughs> more, like, you know, like it's five to 10 employees. E. am convinced some game development studios are just money laundering schemes. Cause like <laughs> look at THQ Nordic. They keep buying everything up. What are they releasing? <laughs> I, I don't know. There's so many games I can't keep track. They can just hide. Exactly. Like, I mean, as long as you seem like you're working on something for a few years, no one pays any attention <laughs> to where the money is coming and going. <laughs> Good theory. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, you already kind of answered this, but I'll answer it twice. What's next for you? Honestly, great question. Um, so short term. Uh, shortest term i gotta take off, i gotta take off this sweater my space heater is really working <laughs> great solid answer all right sorry about that <laughs> i was walking around in the snow earlier and i'm wearing like six layers still um 
Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in the in the short term, um, I've got a couple other little projects going on. Uh, there's uh, I just wanted to put together like graphic resources and maybe some sounds and um you know mm. gameplay systems to make uh Zelda likes that I could just put to put together as a system with you know a little example game that I could mm. release for free to sort of um help out anybody else who wanted to go down this path uh <laughs> for better or worse and um <laughs> you know just sort of a, like I I really appreciate everyone who's you know helped me or answered questions online or um you know, help me figure out how to write some code. And I feel like I'm pretty good at putting together graphics and okay, but any other systems. And I wanted to, um, you know, get some out there so that any, that anyone could use and just make those available. Um, and that's sort of, you know, maybe I'll spend a couple months on that. Um, but outside of that, you know, I got, a, I got a number of different ideas, um, bringing yarn town into, uh, you know, making it its own IP as a full game is one idea. Mm-hmm. Um, cause people seem to really resonate with that. Um, um, one of my, one of my one of my friends from coding school and I were talking about making a um uh sort of like if you imagine uh witchers were still a job but set in Columbus Columbus Ohio in 2021 in the modern day um with like uh a sort of like city government employee whose job is to go you know like rid buildings of red caps or pixies or whatever uh, we thought that would okay. be fun um. Bat now the bat together a couple other ideas around like a, a cowboy game or, um, but probably still exploring like um, the uh, sort of within the Zelda like ish genre you know leaning more towards oh maybe this is sort of like Hollow Knight e in a lot of ways or you know these brings in a lot of systems from Hyperlight Drifter or Dark Souls or um oh this one's more story based or puzzle based or whatever. Um, sort of like taking what I've learned and, uh, you know, making small iterations and just sort of keeping that going to, exp- you know, really explore the genre. Like we said earlier, I, like I, we both, you know, love Zelda likes, so just make more of them. Yeah. I don't think there's enough. I don't think there is either. Like, <laughs> let's uh, saturate the market I mean, for Nintendo ourselves. Nintendo does a pretty good job of Zelda. Uh, Nintendo's you know, pretty good at but... Zelda. I'll give them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're okay. But they're not pumping them out. Right, are they doing better? I think, but you know, yeah. I mean, the last the last Nintendo produced. So actually, ooh, think if you think about it, the last Nintendo produced top down pixel art Zelda game. I'm thinking this right was in the 90s. Was Link's Awakening? Uh, Minish Cap. Right, and then they remade Link's Awakening because Minish because Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons were produced by Capcom, uh, and then same with Minish Cap. Oh, that's true. And then Cadence of Hyrule was the Necrodancer people. I think of that as co-developed. I'm sure Nintendo had a hand in it. Yeah, I think it... Yeah, I mean, definitely they had a hand in it. But uh, yeah, Minish Cap and the Oracle series were both... I think they were, you know, produced by Capcom with Nintendo's some amount of oversight and involvement. But either way, Minish Cap in 2004, you know, it's been, what, 16, 17 years? Would you count Four Swords Adventures on GameCube? Ooh, uh, no, because I forgot about it. <laughs> I never played it, and it is not easy to find. I think I still own it. Oh, well, all right, show off. Pretty sure. <laughs> well, no, my brother and I tried to play it together uh, mm-hmm. like in a, in a past year for like a Zelda month thing. Oh, nice. And we didn't realize that the only way you could do multiplayer is with the, the Game Boy Advance Link cable. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we were, we were kind of screwed before we started. So I have the game. But can only mm. play single player. 
Yeah, I think that I, so it's still I, not the same. I don't think it did super well at the time because of that, because you needed, you know, like 80 bucks worth of peripherals to play it. Right. <laughs> but everyone already had that from Crystal Chronicles, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I got like barely into that game, but it was like, oh, you need all this other, you know, your Game Boy Advance link cable. I'm like, I don't have that. <laughs> I would have like, uh, you know, BYOC parties with my friends. Like, <laughs> bring your own cable. If, if you bring a cable, you can play. <laughs> Yeah, I remember one time, like a single time, I I played uh, Four Swords on the Game Boy Advance because I went over and stayed at someone's house with a link cable, mm-hmm. and it was it was okay. That was legit. Yeah, I mean, good for them for like pushing for that. I don't know. I I really liked the the magnet mitt thing that they brought back for the oracles. Oh, the magnet gloves. Yeah, that they introduced that item in Four Swords, and I really liked it. Oh, oh yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun item. It my, was sort of it's cool because it, yeah, it like my Zelda nerds coming out. It feel it sort of in it fulfills the function of the hookshot. Um mm-hmm. you know, exactly it's it's in you know, its basic function is just to be the hookshot. Uh but then it also has like the secondary function of like now you can ma- manipulate back and forth these big iron balls. Um and there's those one really annoying enemies that like switch polarity and you can manipulate them with it's just like a much more functional hookshot that does a lot more. Yeah. I thought, yeah, absolutely, really clever. I don't think it would work in 3D for obvious reasons, but like, it's it, it was refreshing in place mm. of just the boring hook shot. Yeah, yeah, both those Oracle games switched. And it was up better than the switch hook. Yeah, the yeah the switch hook. Uh, well, I mean, it just did more than the switch hook, but the switch hook the way it switched was also cool. There's a um. It was okay. Oh, speaking of uh, speaking of Zelda likes, there's this um great in progress game called the waking cloak um by this uh daniel mueller guy um i follow him on twitter and he puts out the the way his strategy is is so he's working on this uh zelda like game called the waking cloak and as he's been in development he's been putting out single dungeons at a time that are like sort of like a side Hmm. story and each one sort of explores different mechanics as he's developing it and the first episode is called like the proto dungeon uh, he did a great sort of switch hook kind of item. It's sort of like a, you shoot out a projectile that will... So, you know, the basic iteration is you shoot out a projectile and it hits a pot and boom, you switch places with the pot. Um, but then, you know, the there's also like mirrors in the dungeon. So you're like shooting it out and it's bouncing off mirrors and you have to like bounce it around to hit the right thing to warp to it. Um, and then you have, you know, an escalation of like, okay, now you can make it turn once after you shoot it. So you're like, okay, I got to bounce off a mirror and then turn down this corridor. Uh, and it's just, it, it's a masterful exploration of just like, uh, here is a single item and here's a short dungeon that just iterates upon, you know, like, you know what people praise the Mario games for is like, you give them a mechanic, mm-hmm. you give, do it a twist, and then you escalate on it and test them on that. And he's been putting out these these just like short, sweet little dungeons on itch.io that just do that very well. Like a single dungeon, a single item, and just really explore it in a fun way. Nice. I just wrote that one down. That sounds really cool. Because I think one of the things where um, at least fan, like Zelda fan games, as far as I've played, mm-hmm. the and even like Blossom Tales to an extent, uh, the thing they struggle with the most is really clever puzzles. Oh, um, for sure. Because like you can get the combat, you can get the cool enemy design, things like that. But like that that Zelda puzzle design is something that's kind of hard to replicate. Um, and a lot of times, I think it's because the the items that you get are very similar to Zelda items. So it's like, what else are you gonna do with that thing? Yeah. But it sounds like he you know introduced some really interesting items um, that mm-hmm. kind of helps to mediate that. 
Yeah, and I think that's definitely that's watching his watching his project and development so far. That seems to be like definitely a strength that his project has that a lot of others don't. And my, you know, oceans aren't included. Like puzzles aren't my favorite, and we're not what I was focusing on. But I mean, I, mm-hmm. I agree that like yeah, the puzzles in Ocean's Heart aren't Zelda quality strength. I wasn't trying to make them that. You know, it's I wasn't trying to make a game about puzzles. It's for me, it's more about the exploration. But that yeah, that's very insightful. That like so many of them of what we're doing it's you know zelda's been pumping pumping you know out item ideas for 30 years going on you know mm-hmm. so like a lot of the ones you think about have already been covered and it's just you know they have a big team coming up with them so uh, what a lot of people do is a little bit derivative and therefore the puzzles are going to come pre-solved yeah <laughs> i like that that phrasing yeah <laughs> you get in you're like oh well i mean i've got the bow uh-huh. it's pretty obvious yep yeah, I can't tell you. I mean, there were there are a number of plays I watched plays of Ocean's Heart I, I, that I saw. Um, one of the items in Ocean's Heart is a uh, sort of like a barrier, so it's like a shield. Mm-hmm. So you like press the button, it uses a little bit of your magic power and just like casts a spherical shield around you. Uh, and the inspiration there was actually not. This was inspired by Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> There's like in a one of the many okay. many spinoffs, like one of the characters their block move like summons a shield around them it's like a barrier or something um and it's just like a big spherical shield that deflects attacks and is your block move and i was like oh that's cool i want to put in one of those um and one of the puzzles i used it with was like you know there's four switches that you need to hit them really quick because they turn off really quick (laughs) and so many people i was like i saw playing were like ah obviously i need bombs for this (laughs) Uh, and i'm like Mm, there's there's an item in this dungeon that will absolutely just do that but i I also did to be fair program it so like you know if you want to use bombs for this that'll work too i'm not your mom i'm not telling you how to play i actually had bombs and i didn't think to use them (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if you've also like me just been trained by the zelda formula enough we're like obviously if i don't immediately know how to solve this with my current items there will be an item that (laughs) lets me get through this yeah well, yeah, I was like, well, I don't have the, the dungeon item yet, which I don't even know if there were dungeon items, you know, because it's not a Zelda game. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. its own thing. But I kind of figured, cause since you have an inventory screen, that you probably get a dungeon item. Yeah. So I was like, eh, yeah, I well, must I mean, have to use that. In that case, the dungeon item is entirely optional. You can totally complete the game without it. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it definitely makes things a lot easier. But but that was something that I wanted to encourage is sort of like when whenever optional or whenever possible, make things optional. Um, so like, okay, do you really need this item or can you, can this just be a fun thing you discover? And if you miss it, well, I mean, that's fine because that sort of makes when you do discover it even more rewarding because mm-hmm. no one's stopping you from progressing until you find it. It's more on your own. Like you've more made the decision to go seek it out and come across it. Uh, and I think that's a fun way to be more rewarding of ex- exploration and to encourage it. Do you think that makes some of the items kind of trivial because you don't need them and so you feel yourself not using them once you have them? Oh yeah, that is absolutely that is absolutely a downside. Like and uh one that I do think is inherent to that choice. Like w- at its core like every in this sort of, you know, action uh, action RPG genre, whenever an item is more than just a kind of tool. So like um like in an action RPG like The Witcher, you can get an infinite number of swords, but they're all just a sword. You know, so there's that mm-hmm. far spectrum where like 
or in Breath of the Wild, people hated this. Like, you know, you find a new sword, it's meaningless. It does the same thing of your other swords. And it's, you know, it's not as good a reward because it's not unique. And then on the far other end of the spectrum, you know, like you are things like, I mean, the hook shot is what I, what I and a lot of other people I'm sure think is, you know, one of our favorite items in Zelda. Because it is a very specific item that has a lot of different use cases. Like now you can mm-hmm. hook shot across gaps. Now you can use it to stun enemies. You know, now you can reach all other kinds of blocks. You can sort of use it to dodge out of the way of things. Um, and there's a bunch of puzzles, you know, all throughout the world that are like, ah, now this is a key that unlocks all these things to me. And yeah. sort of when, wherever an, an item can fall somewhere on that spectrum of like, is this a key that unlocks a lot of things down to, oh, this is just like, you know, this is absolutely unimportant that I get this because it's just like something else I already have. And so the further you go towards this is a key that unlocks many things is sort of like the closer you are towards making it mandatory. So like trying to strike that balance of um, with your optional items, will you use them to unlock optional areas? And I think that's a, that's a valid way to do it. And I would consider that mm-hmm. sometimes of like, Oh, cool. Like I found this optional, uh, what's some of the optional items in my game? Like here's a, uh, fire arrows, uh, in ocean's heart, you can come across fire arrows later and that's totally optional. Um, so like how many places am I going to put in the game where like, ah, fire arrows are the way thing that unlocks this. Cause the more and more I put into them, the more and more I'm locking people who don't want to go seek them out, out of more and more content. So the, where I sort of fell for ocean's heart was like, all the optional items, I want them to be fully optional. Like, I don't want you to not be able to get into some caves without, you know, some like cave with a puzzle and a treasure unless you have this item. I think that's a valid way of doing it, but I sort of wanted to make mm-hmm. everything available to everyone. And these will just sort of enhance the way you do combat or enhance the way you travel around. Um, so, like, you can still do everything without these items, but they just sort of give you another alternate path. But it, it definitely does have okay. downsides of... You know, being because it isn't, it doesn't op, uh, let you do things you couldn't do before. It just lets you do things in a way you couldn't do them before. There, there definitely is. Yeah, it does make them less. Uh, what was what was the word you said? Like less important or less validated? Trivial, I think is the. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are more trivial. It makes them feel trivial. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I like kind of to that point, I think of you know going back to Axiom Verge. Like, there's a lot of like beam weapons you get in that game, mm-hmm. and I think like at least half of them aren't actually needed at any point. Um, and there's a few, like you can't even get all of them in one run of the game. Yeah. Um, because they're sense. in like special glitch areas or whatever, mm-hmm. but like what having them gives you like, you know, one shoots entirely diagonally and like another one is like close range, but has a wide spread. And so it's like, you know, they give you different ways to attack enemies. And since the combat is kind of hard, mm-hmm. you're encouraged to switch it up. Um, yeah. And find the weapon that is best against different enemies, even though you don't have to. You can go through the whole game with like whatever's strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's clever. So yeah, that. there's definitely a, a merit to that. Yeah, like the more that they change gameplay, like one of the sweet spots. I'm not going to say like this is the sweet spot to hit, but one of the sweet spots you can hit is exactly that of like this very much changes the way that you do routine tasks, but you can still do the same task in your old way. And I think that mm-hmm. that that is definitely a cool about the cool thing to aim for. Because I don't see why anyone would strive to just like have boring combat. It's like, well, you don't oh, yeah. have to use this. You can just go through the whole game with just your sword. It's like, but why? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, providing people options like, uh, I, you know, Ocean's Heart, you can't go through with just the sword, but you can do all the combat with just your sword. Uh, I yeah. don't like to play it that way because, you know, it's that's kind of more boring. But mm-hmm. but I can't make I can't force you to use arrows. <laughs> Um, I think uh, Hyperlight Drifter also did it a good way, like like Axiom Verge does. Like I think yeah. all of their items are you know optional guns, which like oh this one's more of a shotgun, this one's more of a sniper rifle, and that you sort of change you know it's like changes up your battle strategy basically. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe the next game I make also <laughs> the next game I make that takes some of influence from Hyperlight Drifter because I always thought it would I was expecting there to be more swords too, like oh this sword mm-hmm. is slower but powerful. Or this sword is, you know, longer range, but does less damage or whatever. I was expecting Hyper Life Drifter to just be more like a Zelda game. It's kind of not. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is more different than uh, I was expecting from the reviews, too. Yeah. But uh, anyway, just real quick. Um, yeah. the, the the first like little, I guess you'd even call it like a mini boss in that tutorial dungeon at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. Um. Like my first death of the game was because I dropped in, you know, wherever you wherever you drop in that cave and find like the the boss that she makes like a snarky comment about, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, when I did this for my test, I just threw pots at it and killed it. I don't want to use my sword against it, <laughs> so like I just I tried to I kept trying to pick up pots and he kept hitting me and I died because I didn't want to use my sword to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's fun to play things in a different way, but if it makes it more difficult, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're, like, determined, like, all right, I'm going to knock her into that puddle of water, then, yep, also valid strategy, too. Exactly. It's, like, you you play Dark Souls games. You know it's, sometimes it's artificial challenge, like, where you just make it more hard for yourself because it's more fun. Mm, that's not the way I play Dark Souls games. <laughs> I don't need that extra challenge on top of, like, Sekiro. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't really play them, but... I figure, you know, I've, I've seen like the people that beat Dark Souls games with like a DDR pad. So I oh my gosh, just assume yeah. that's how the, the fan base works. Uh, no, those people are maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, like I loved, I love Bloodborne and I'm doing a, well, I mean, I say I love it. I'm doing my second playthrough now. I mean, I guess I love it, but I have a less, uh, maybe a less quantitative relationship with video games than a lot of people do. But um, I I have no desire to make it harder. I was just like, oh, that was, that was quite challenging. I'm fine with that where it is. <laughs> yeah, I almost never play games on hard mode or anything because I just want to enjoy it. Like, what's the yeah. point in making yourself angry playing a video game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot fun. of times hard, it's you never like if you just like you're at the beginning of the game and you see a hard mode setting, you're like, there is a good chance this is just going to make it, uh, you know, grueling and tedious rather than like yeah meaningfully more challenging especially for your first playthrough yeah like, you're not gonna enjoy the game as much then yeah yeah i mean hard mode settings are definitely a whole you know podcast episode on their own or whatever about yeah. like because like how do you how do you even know going in like i always i always set it on whatever it recommends but like a lot of games i'm like that was kind of way too easy and i find myself like not needing to use the more complicated skills or strategies because just like I can beat everything with pretty basic techniques like in Assassin's Creed or Horizon Zero Dawn were that way. And I probably could have benefited from going on hard mode, but how would I have known that at the beginning of the game when I said it? Yeah. And not all hard modes are created equally either. For sure. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I I wanted, I feel like, you know, we should probably come to an end here, even though I'm enjoying the conversation, (laughs) but um, I don't take up your whole night. I do have one, one more thing. 
um <laughs> i i brought it up during the gameplay so i'm sure you'll you know see that eventually mm -hmm. but um i i was told that you don't really have a bestiary or anything for your enemies in the in the o ocean's heart no um and that they have just kind of like you know basic like code names or whatever for each one <laughs> yep um have you ever like do you have like actual names for them like have you thought about like giving fun names like kind of like, you know the bats and zelda or keese that kind of thing um for for a lot of them i have so the uh like their names are a mix a lot of them are like um troll thing spider or rocks i i some you know like uh just like it's basic function i didn't really care um some mm -hmm. of them have like like rock spiders i think some of the npcs in the game reference them um and then some of them when they're more like lore connected um like you know you'll fight a you'll fight a ghost and the name might be like oh this is like the restless spirit of a bear warrior and like i know that <laughs> i guess there's no way for a player to know that <laughs> or something but um i have uh for the for this game i'm i'm sort of like you know i gotta draw the line somewhere and adding in sort of like a bestiary <laughs> or uh any way to officially communicate the sort of lore behind the enemies is just sort of out of scope of what i can do as just like me yeah i just didn't know if like you know you since you created all the sprites and stuff if you kind of had like loving nicknames for any of them or if it's just kind of like i just i needed to create something <laughs> oh that's a good question Let's, let me here. Let me pull. Let me pull up the code and see if I can find some good ones. As long as you know, we're not streaming. With the power of editing, you can wait for me. Exactly. But just as an example, like while we were playing, uh, there was like these kind of uh, like almost skeletal like crow things. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I kept asking my brother, I was like, you know, is there a name for these? Like, is there you know these are these are a pretty cool design. And he's like, I think they're just called like crows or something. And I was like, no, they're sculptures. Oh, Sculptures is really good. <laughs> I like that. Right? Like, you can have that if one. If it wouldn't totally but... break the code, I would just rename the file now into Sculptures. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I was just I was trying to think of others, but, like, nothing yeah. beats Sculptures. Yeah, no, Matt is right. They are just called crows in the in the code. <laughs> okay. Well, even though, obviously, like, mm, something up with it. That's not what a crow looks like. No. <laughs> it is what a sculpture uh, looks like, though. This is true. Um, a lot of the plant-like <laughs> enemies are, uh, when I was coming up with them, I conceived them as arborgeists, um, which I thought was a fun okay. term, um, yeah. which actually came from, I was, uh, when I, I was working in landscaping at one point during development and was working at, uh, you know, we had like had a job somewhere and I just heard the name of the client offhand. It was like Julia Arborgeist. And I was like, like Arborgeist, <laughs> like tree ghost. And they're like, oh, 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 yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and i was like that's so cool <laughs> uh so i was like i'm putting arborgeist in the game um that is that's pretty oh uh, one that's fun is so there's a couple um like rock enemies in the game uh that you'll find like i think you can find sub up on like marble cliff mountain um and there's two there's like big ones and little ones the big ones are called boulder bros and the little ones are called gravel guys <laughs> um cute <laughs> so you've got some of those you've got some like names like that in there Let's see, rock spiders, sea hags. A sea hag is the uh, code is the name in the code for the uh, that mini boss at the beginning. Uh, okay. Um. Uh. So there are there there's like some fire things that are just will o wisps, sort of the general name. Um. 
there's a there's one that in the code is just called Azora because it behaves like Azora. <laughs> wow. I mean, I know you basically have Dekus, but at least you didn't call them that. Yeah. So those are called. <laughs> um, so there's the ones that jump out and get you, which I called mandrakes. Um, I heard someone on a stream call <laughs> call them ambushes. And I, <laughs> and that's like, really that's good. So good. Um, and then, oh man, all of the bosses, almost all of the bosses have like official in in like in lore, in canon, in universe lore names. Mm-hmm. So you know they probably are are like that name is said at some point. Uh no, it's just for me. Oh, <laughs> um, you know you've got like so there's like the abyss beast, which like I know his whole deal and I know all the lore behind him, uh, and it's hinted at in some places if you make some connections, but not really there. Or like, um, like uh, Blackbeard, that one is pretty you know obvious or given. There's um mm-hmm. uh like a ghost mini boss that you can fight by uh, lighting all of the uh, ancient lighthouses around. You'll summon a ghost ship and can do battle with a ghost mm-hmm. on there. Um, and that is Ophi- and that is uh, Zephyrine, who is a character in the lore and like is mentioned in like some old books and on some old like obelisks. Um, I don't have like the uh. You know, t- like uh, like Zelda, like Zelda or Dark Souls does, where it like tells you the name of the boss and you're fighting, but you can piece together probably that that's Zephyrine. Um, or you fight Ophira on Fikunos Island. Uh, <laughs> a couple of them are a little more goofy. Uh, the mini boss that you fight at the end of the uh, like chain of shipwrecks at the Pirate Council's headquarters, his name in the code is Assassin Beard. Wow, <laughs> I think I gave him a name in the game though. Okay. See, I was, I was just thinking of, like, you know, the end of Super Mario World when, like, it, it does the credits and it shows you all, like, the, the creatures and their names. Like, you don't oh, know them otherwise, fun. but, like, they're there. They have names. That would be a fun way to do it. I have uh probably probably 30 times more enemies than people in the credits because it was a pretty, pretty small operation. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, I'm just, you know I'm curious, but like I like that world building stuff. Like I said, yeah. I mostly help my brother with like story stuff for his game, so that's kind of where my head is at. No, I'm not that's a, a great you know, I don't it. understand game development, but I like story stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, one of my favorite things in your game is all the you know the um the writing around, like you said, the stuff that you can just kind of find out, but you don't have to know. Like I like the personality you put into the different oh, uh, letters and things like that that are hanging on the walls. It's it just adds a nice touch to the world. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, those so are that was that's kind of where you know. Yeah, I think yeah, definitely at some point, you know, if I if I do like me and my friend have been spitballing this like <laughs> game where you basically play a Witcher, but it's part of the city government and set in the modern day. Like, I would definitely mm-hmm. have a lot of fun doing a bestiary in there. Because <laughs> and I think yeah, agreed. Like those little like the little snippets that you can get from a bestiary of like just the fact that like what do people call this tells you a lot about those people. Yeah. Like, and like, how do people like, what is, you know, like, just like to us, like with our mythology in real life that like, you know, a sphinx, we know as to be like a, a wise creature and like associated with riddles because of, you know, the stories that have been told about it. Like when you have a, a, a sculpture, like, you know, like, oh, you can probably tell why people <laughs> named it that, but like, what, what does that mm-hmm. mean to people? Like, is that a, a sign? Uh, is that an ill, a sign of ill omen? are they like pests like rats like how do people perceive them and that can tell you so much about the world and it's really fun to think about 
See, like, for me, like, you know, when I used to make RPG Maker games and stuff, mm-hmm. like, they never made it very far, but it would start with the idea. Like, I would, like, write a little short story or something, and then I'd be like, okay, how can I make this into a game? And that's <laughs> what would fall apart. <laughs> so, like, I lead well. with, you know, names of things and, mm-hmm. and concepts and all that, and then when it comes to game development, I'm like, eh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, if you're just doing it as a hobby, like, nothing wrong with that. Come up with an idea, start to make a game, let it fall apart. If you had fun with that, great that was a success true yeah that's why i make youtube videos instead because <laughs> you know make those ideas in other ways <laughs> oh yeah for sure there, like, there's just like so much so many different ways and mediums like you said you do podcasts mm-hmm. i had one of those for a while and that was also like you know it's like a very different way of telling a story um especially we were doing sort of like a we were doing one of those D podcasts where it's it's a collaborative improv mm. story and so, like, yeah. you know, it's very different, especially when, like, someone else has a left field idea and you're like, all right, guess, I guess this is what we're doing. You know, I guess we're using a fire elemental to make soup or whatever. Like, um, <laughs> and then that derails and does a whole story arc. But then you're also, like, making plans of, like, well, what is the bad guy's plan? So I was, like, working with the DM because um, she and I collaborated on writing projects in the past. And, like, you, it's, it's another medium of, like, if you like telling stories and you, like, have ideas that you want to share, like, you can just whatever medium gets those off your chest that you have fun with is, is, is valid. Yeah, exactly. Just, just put ideas into the world. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how, I mean, maybe make sure it's legal, but put the ideas out there. As long as they're good ideas. If you're putting, if you're putting bad hurt, if you're putting in, you know, like bad, hurtful, mean ideas, uh, stop. And part two, get off my steam page. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that, felt real <laughs> no nah, that was just a dig <laughs> it's okay <laughs> one person who was going who was literally i had this some dude on steam was literally uh doing like the cliche of just like going into every comment and being like lazy devs and i'm like do people people actually say lazy devs <laughs> i thought that was just yeah. a cl- like a cliche about what people would complain about but it's real yeah i found it very funny i mean i still see like you know the the dead game uh comments on random things so i'm sure there's those people that just only have like three words in their vocabulary and they're all mean (laughs) it seems like (laughs) um yeah if you ever if you ever want to uh start up a DD podcast again hit me up (laughs) right on yeah i mean it was a uh it was a ton of work and i would definitely need to restructure to figure out how to do it with less you know less than 12 hours a week put into the editing process but oof yeah I mean, do it as a live stream. Then you don't have to worry about editing. Mm. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I would like that product. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's a quality difference there. You probably listen to the Glass Cannon podcast, huh? They're all perfectionists, too. Uh, Glass Cannon? No, I haven't heard of that one. Uh, they they mostly do Pathfinder, but okay. um, they have that similar mentality of, like, if it's not perfect, I'm not going to put it out. Yeah. Oh, I mean, perfection isn't, you know, like... I mean, perfection is definitely something you should, I don't necessarily think is fun to strive towards. And like in that, so like, um, like there's a lot of this kind of podcast going around right now. You know, you've got like those, uh, mm-hmm. like that, those critical role guys are like super huge, right? They're like making millions of dollars Yeah. and like, um, not another D and D podcast is a bigger one I've heard. Um, my mm-hmm. favorite is dungeons and daddies. I don't know if you've heard that one. Um, but yeah, my brother told me about it. I don't know if he got it from you or not. But uh, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I don't think I know that he liked that. But I will geek out about that with him because oh, oh my okay. god, it's so good. 
Um, like there's a lot of those. I like, certainly listen. I'm at home all the time, so I don't listen to podcasts right now. Oh, <laughs> I sometimes specifically go on long drives to nowhere just to listen to a podcast. <laughs> I'll just like hop in the car huh. and be like, new episodes out. I'm going to go drive around the country <laughs> and, um, or countryside. But, um, yeah, like the, like a lot of times those, you know, those rough edges and those like bad decisions that people make and those like, oh, you know what? <laughs> this didn't go anywhere. They're really funny. And that's where the character is. Like the overproduction mm-hmm. can really peel away from the heart of it. But then there's other ones that I've listened to where I'm just like, oh, you're just like four dudes playing a D&D and you don't even know this is a pod. It seems like you don't even aware that this is a podcast. And it's sort of like, what am I doing here? Why did you put this out in the world? This is not for me. You aren't making this for an audience. It bugs me when the audio quality isn't the same. Like when one person's clearly just like on a laptop mic and everyone else has like professional stuff. Yeah. I mean, I have infinitely more patience with that, you know, this past year, but. (laughs) Oh yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. When it's like, when it's, you you gotta, I, I, I'm going to, if you, if you want me to listen to, I do have definitely a threshold where I'm like, you got to put in this much effort and this much professionalism. Uh, and then I right. still want to see you mess up and make mistakes because I want you to be a real person and not, you know, like not a weird. If I'm listening to a professional podcast, I'm going to turn on like, you know, serial or reply all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, now that this podcast about podcasts is. <laughs> yeah, we can nerd about a podcast for I could probably go a lot longer on podcasts. Love those also. But this is this is about game design ostensibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so yeah any any final thoughts or anything to put out in the world um i mean no i don't have any particular i mean (laughs) final final thoughts about my game is a weird uh i don't i mean i am constantly thinking about it and you know second guessing things and being like how could i make this better maybe that'll work in the next game uh i don't know any final thoughts you have about your game or final questions yeah final you know final questions for me or um i think i covered all my questions but i'm just hey you just you just sort of threw the onus on my side of the volleyball net, and I'm like, no, uh, nope, return. Hey, you're the one that said you like talking about yourself. <laughs> I was just giving Fair you the enough. opportunity. Um, let me just, let me just, you know, do I have any, any sort of, uh, here, I'll, I'll do the podcast host thing. So, Max, do you have any? Uh, thanks for joining us. Do you have any plugs or anything you want people to hit up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Justin. So, um, you can follow me at Eleven Mirage on Twitter. Um. <laughs> So Ocean's Hearts uh, on Steam, just search Steam or GOG for Ocean's Heart. Uh, and I got a couple more games on itch.io, uh, which is maxatrillionator.itch.io. You can search for uh, Hollow's Eve or Yarntown and uh, get into my au revoir that way. Uh, this is a family podcast. Um, I mean, Yarntown's a f- totally free game that you can uh, get a little taste at. Uh, no risk. Nice. For the record, that was going to be my next thing. So. Oh, okay, cool. I misread. <laughs> uh, I misread the room. Uh, <laughs> no, it's cool. <laughs> I was on. I did this before. I was on. I was on the. Uh, the. I was talking with the guys from the Escapist, uh, and I totally thought they were like doing. Uh, uh, cool. This is the out, and I was like, cool. Freeze frame on the stream. We committed to like a freeze frame, like the end of an eighties movie, and the other guy was like, oh, I actually had uh, another question, and we were like, oh fuck, but but, but we're committing to the bit. It's a freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> oh it was really embarrassing okay never cool, mind you uh, know name drop uh, the escapist like that no i don't really have any other final thoughts my thoughts are scattered <laughs> and uh you know very unorganized so i don't wouldn't know how to label any of them final okay what would your what would your final meal be Ooh, 
Much better question. Not, not a threat. I'm just <laughs> uh, much better question. Um, I so weird thing about me, I don't really like food that much. Um, like uh, I eat so that I can have enough energy to get back to doing whatever else I was doing. Uh. But assuming this is my final meal, there's really nothing else I'm doing afterwards. So I'm totally lost in a drift. It's just like, I don't eat that way, man. <laughs> uh, but I feel like I'd go back to, uh, it's like, you know, one more. Of the le- you got to go back to the classics. You know, you don't want to get decadent. Like, just do what you've been doing. Uh, but maybe like a uh, ba- uh, breakfast sandwich. Hmm. My final meal would depend on how I was being killed. Why? Well, like, if it was, like, electric chair, I would try to do something that's, like, uh, you know, insulation. Um, I, like, I would try to trick the system. Oh, okay. All right. So, what are you just, what are you going to eat that's going to be so, well, that's going to stop you from getting electrocuted? So, a hose? Rubber gloves? <sighs> I, mean, I, like, I'm not in jail or anything, so I haven't had time to do the research. Um Okay, but Here, I'm gonna. I I feel like I don't even need to do the research. I'm just gonna say flat out, there is nothing you can eat that will prevent electrocution, <laughs> other than like a potion from a video game. Okay. Mm, agree to disagree. All right. Uh, <laughs> say this is a uh, this is uh in the Mar the Marvel movie, and they're gonna throw you off a big cliff for a a, a jewel. What do you eat then? Oh, okay. The Soulstone. Got it. I was like, what? A jewel? I, um, I don't remember the movie very well. I would eat as much as possible to try to immediately put on enough fat to uh, to bounce. Huh. Hmm. I do. We're going to, like you said, agree to disagree. Uh, don't think that would work, but it was great talking to you. So thanks for coming on my show. <laughs> uh, thanks for dropping by. Uh, so you're the developer of Ocean's Heart. Again, you can find that uh-huh. on Steam, guys. Justin's game is Ocean's Heart, um, or GOG. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. Um, thank you for having me, Justin. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on, Max. <laughs> this is weird. All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. <laughs>